This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. This morning I'd like to talk a little bit about the study of Elijah and Elisha. I don't know what my... I'm very fascinated with Elijah and Elisha. I, have, I was looking through my notes the other day. I probably have six different types of sermons based off of those two. Um, but this morning I want to talk about the passing of the mantle, the passing of, of Elijah being a prophet onto Elisha. I'd like to start, though, in thinking about this in 1 Kings chapter 19. In 1 Kings chapter 19, if you'll remember, these are very bleak times for Israel. Because Ahab and Jezebel, they've been destroying the priests and the prophets of God. The priests and the prophets of Baal are, are ruling, essentially. Uh, it's a very dark hour for the... For Israel. Elijah is, is called by God to go and to preach against um, Ahaz, against these prophets of Baal, and essentially to have one final showdown with them. And it's that epic battle that we've heard about and read about before where he has a, a sacrifice off, which, you know, is like a dance-off, but it's a sacrifice off where, you know, they, they, they have this competition where Who's, who's Lord, whose God will actually consume the burnt sacrifice? And of course, the God of Israel consumes the sacrifice, but Baal's don't. And afterwards, there's a great slaughter, and he rises up in battle, and he fights against uh, the priests of Baal, and, and he emerges victorious, and he seems to be feeling pretty good. But the, vin, the very next day, he gets word from Jezebel that, hey, you know you killed all my prophets? Well, I'm going to kill you too. And he's real low. I mean, he is so low, he wanders out to the wilderness. He said, Lord, I'm worthless. I'm not making a difference. I'm not making a change. I'm all alone out here. So why don't you just kill me? That's what he said. Just kill me. Let me leave this earth. Because he couldn't see a future for the church. I think that's a very sad place to be in, to not be able to see a future for God's kingdom, for us today, His church. To be able to look at it and say, there's no one else around. There's no one else to help me work. This thing will work if I turn it on. There's no one else to help me work. There's no one else to carry on the traditions or the commandments of God. And he just, he felt so lonely. And God came to him in the wilderness and he said, get up. Get up and because you've still got work to do. It wasn't time to leave the world yet. And he gave him a mission. If you'll remember that mission, we'll touch on it. One, he was going to get to anoint two kings. One was the king of Syria. One be the king of Israel. About the best king that, that, that the northern kingdom had. Um, they didn't have any many good kings, if, if at all, but Jehu would be a, a decent one. And then the next blessing that God gave to him is someone to train. And he says, I want you to go and I want you to take Elijah, the son, or Elisha, the son of Abel-Meholah, and I want you to train him to be a prophet in your stead. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. I want to skip a little bit of time, and we'll fill in some of the blanks in a little bit, but I want to take you to the very end of Elijah and Elisha's journey together. It's finally coming a time where God has said, okay, now it's okay for you to leave this world. Not in a bad way, but in a good way. God was going to take him up in a whirlwind, and he was going to go be with God. And so he is excited about this, but we don't find him as excited to leave this world or ready to leave this world. I guess he was excited the first time uh, here in 2 Kings chapter 1 and chapter 2. But he knows this time is coming and he looks over at Elisha, the one that he's trained with, for what time period? I'm not positive. And he said, look, God's called me to go. Why don't you stay here at Bethel and let me go on alone? And, and Elisha said, as, as you live and the Lord lives... 
I'm not going to leave you alone. And so they went on to Bethel, and, and again, Elijah looks over to Elisha, and he said, Elisha, I wish you'd stay here while I go on a little further. God's called me across Jordan. And, and Elisha says, as the Lord lives and as you live, I'm not going to forsake you. And he kept going with him. Every place that they went, people were reminding Elisha, look, your master, your teacher, he's about to leave, and the mantle's going to rest on you. That mantle's that robe. And he'd said, hold your peace. I don't want to talk about it, essentially. Finally, they get to the River Jordan, and, and in a miracle, uh, Elijah performs, or God allows Elijah to perform. They walk across Jordan on dry ground, and it was there that we witnessed this last conversation between a mentor and his pupil, which I believe they were much closer than that. In 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 9, he says, It came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee that I may be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass as they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and the horses of fire, and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Sorry, I cut heaven off there. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took his own clothes, and he rent them in two pieces. And he took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, and he went back, and he stood by the bank of Jordan. We're going to pull this apart here and there as we go through our study this morning. I want you to know what's going on here. Right here is where two friends are separating. Two, almost like a father-son relationship. If you'll think about the writings of Paul and how he would talk to guys like Timothy and how he would call him the son of the faith, and that's the relationship that you see with these two. After Elijah had been so downtrodden and felt so alone, he finally has this young fella come in and he gets to train him to do the Lord's work. And, and at the end of his life, he's going, I don't want to leave you alone. I hope that I prepared you well enough. He's there, don't come with me. It wasn't because Elijah didn't want him there. It's because it's hard to say goodbye, isn't it? You like goodbyes? If you do, you're a little strange, you know, I'm just telling you. You know, so we're trying to get out of those goodbyes. Because it's emotional. But here in his last conversation, we see him finally passing the mantle. And that mantle we'll talk about on and off is the cloak or the coat. And, and it wasn't just a simple jacket like what you and I wear, but this, this was a symbol. This was a symbol, a garment that was a symbol for the office or the position that Elijah had as a prophet in God's kingdom. And so whenever people saw him in that robe, they knew this is the prophet of God. And as Elisha picks it up and he puts it on. He takes on that role. So it wasn't just a piece of clothing. It represented a responsibility. And so the passing of this mantle is much like what we would call today the terminology of passing the torch of one generation to the next. And that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about how those of us who are older or those who are older, and I'm not going to go into ages and dates, but I'll tell you, you're older than somebody. That we have a responsibility to teach. We have a responsibility to train. We have a responsibility to prepare the next generation for service to God. And for those of us who may not be ready to pass that mantle yet, we need to be working towards the point where we can pick it up and we can put it on and that we can fill those shoes of the ones who have gone on before us. And I want to talk about those two roles this morning. You know, this is, this is the story of the Bible right here of how 
how the Word of God is passed on to different people, how people are converted, how people are, are made stronger. It's that one generation takes another and he trains them. Consider these following scriptures. We'll go through them real quick. Hebrews 5 and 12 says, When for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, have become such of have need of milk and not of strong meat. What I want you to notice is the first phrase, the time you ought to be teachers. Now, there is an expectation, not an expectation from the writer of Hebrews as he's inspired, he's expressing the expectation of God. There is an expectation of God on you to become a teacher. And I think that too often we're very ready to accept the cleansing blood of Jesus and have our guilt removed and that burden lifted off of our shoulders and we're grateful to be in the presence of loved ones who will continue to teach us but we don't pick up this mantle and recognize I have to grow into a teacher myself. There are roles that I need to step up and that I need to fill. And, and I want you to recognize that. This isn't my expectation or anyone else's expectation. It's God's expectation for you. Now think about that. As He gave the commission, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Go ye therefore, and what do you say? Teach all nations. That means make disciples. We're supposed to be creating in other people the desire to follow Jesus. He goes on, he said, after you've baptized them with the gospel, he said, teach them to observe all things. The expectations, Christians will become teachers. 2 Timothy 2 and 2, Paul told Timothy, he said, the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall also be able to teach others, or who shall be able to teach others also. This is God's desire, not just his desire, it's his expectation. I'll quit saying expectation here in a minute, but... It seems like the right word right now. And I want you to think about your life today, where you're at spiritually. I want you to think about where you started at. Whenever someone first taught you about the gospel of Jesus Christ, you were baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost for the remission of your sins. And I want to know where are you at now? Have you been taught a lot of things? Are you still learning a lot of things? I don't think we ever stop growing. But are you getting to a point where you can start teaching? Have you even thought about, this is where I need to be at some point? Examine your life this morning and say, where am I? And where do I need to be soon? We need to be teachers. God expects it. And, you know, what we don't need to do is sit around and wait around for someone to teach. You know, whenever you look there at Matthew 28, one of the things that we key in a lot of times is that term, go ye therefore. That action that action terminology. And I think that's one of the things that we see in the story of Elijah and Elisha is that as Elijah is so down and he feels so alone, remember he said, I alone have not bowed a knee to Baal. God reminded him, he said, there's 7,000 people have bowed a knee to Baal, to Baal. And he said, but there's one in particular I want you to seek out and I want you to find him because he's going to take over your office. And uh, what Elijah didn't do whenever he found out there was going to be another prophet to take his place someday, he didn't go, well, good for him. I'm glad I'm not the only one doing this anymore. Maybe one of these days he'll grow up into a fine prophet. I hope he does well. Good luck to him. He didn't do any of that. You remember in 1 Kings 19 and verse 6, that whenever he was told that he would have Elisha as a prophet after him, he departed and he found him. He went searching for him. He looked him up. You know, he's not the first person to do that. Remember Jesus. Whenever Jesus was starting his ministry, what did he do? He went over by the Sea of Galilee. He walked by the sea and who did he see? He saw Peter and he saw Andrew. And what did he say? Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. He kept walking on a little bit further in verse 19. And he saw James and he saw John. What did he say? Follow after me, I'll make you fishers of men. 
You see, whenever these godly men realize that they have a task to train the next generation, they don't just wait for the fish to jump in the boat. They don't wait for the young ones to come to them. They go to them and they say, all right, it's your time. Whenever, uh, look back here though real quick, verse 16 says, whenever Elijah found him, he said, Elijah passed by him and he cast his mantle on him. Now, and you might be going, well, why did he throw his mantle on him here? But it was such a big deal whenever he left the earth. Well, what he was showing him is you have an expectation. You're the next one. You're next one up. You're in the batter circle. Ron deck circle, I'm sorry. So what he was doing when he walked up, he said, listen, I'm about to start training you. Are you ready to go? He was. We'll talk about him here in a little bit, but don't wait for someone to teach. Look around, brothers and sisters. Just look around in this room. Hebrews 10, verse 24 through 25, we talk about this a lot. He said, consider one another to provoke to love and to good works. He goes on to talk about how we shouldn't forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some people are. And he said that we should exhort one another so much the more as we see the day approaching. You know, we have an opportunity to look around this room and say, who can I help? Who can I influence? chances are anyone in here you can help and influence I don't care if I don't care if they're they're this tall or or they're this tall you can influence somebody you can have an impact on their life because listen you know all of us we're trying to make it through this world with pure religion and we're trying to keep ourselves unspotted from the world and it's pretty difficult I, I just think about how depressing 2020 was for so many people maybe for you I don't know if I could have made it without the folks at church, without the ones who are willing to invest in my life. I mean, we need each other. Someone needs you to invest in them. So look around and realize you have an opportunity to pass the mantle to somebody here. Sometimes you don't even have to look that far. I would say for those of us who are parents, if we're fathers or mothers, look in your home. That's a responsibility given to us as to raise our children. He said, don't provoke your children to wrath, fathers, but to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Look, these children of the future. We, Roy and I were talking about that this morning. Is that you look around the room, you hear crying babies, and you see a room full of kids, and that's a good sign. I mean, that is awesome. You know what's really sad? Some of the places I go where well, there isn't any kids. Some places I've gone, there isn't anyone under 80. And that ain't anything against 80-year-olds. It's saying that the future is bleak. You know what happened there? Somebody forgot to teach. Somebody forgot to step up. You know what we do sometimes? And we do this even with our own kids. We look at our kids and we just expect them. As they get older, they'll learn, right? Now, there are some things they will learn to do. As they get older, their motor skills get better. They talk a little bit better and all those things. Some of their behaviors will change a little bit because you age, but what we need to understand is just because somebody gets older, just because they've, they've been around it or they've seen it a lot, doesn't mean that they're going to change or that they're going to learn or they're going to progress. Look at 2 Kings 2 and chapter 9. Yeah, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9. He says, It came to pass when they were gone over, Elijah said to Elisha, and he said, What shall I do for thee before I be taken away from thee? You know what? Elijah, Elisha is, is sitting there. He knows he's about to go, and he's going, What have I left undone? You know, I imagine kind of like a scene out of a movie, you know, those deathbed scenes where 
someone is sitting over there with their child and they're saying, I wish I'd done more. I wish I'd taught you more. There's so many things that I didn't tell you. That's the cliche long line. There's so many things I left unsaid. And that's what's rolling through his mind at this moment. What did I not prepare him for? You see, he was worried about, he knew how hard the job was. I mean, this is a job serving the Lord's kingdom that drove him to be suicidal at one point. So depressed, he said, kill me. It's not easy. And so here he is at the end of his life and he looks to this one he cares about so much and he goes, it's on him now. I hope I haven't let him down. Now I'll tell you, sometimes the church lets the next generation down. Sometimes the church and the older generation isn't taking people by the hand and walking through the scriptures with them. Sometimes they're not bringing them into their home and into their lives as we'll talk about here in a little bit. And they assume because they were at church that they knew how to run the church. You know, that is one of the saddest things I, I hear a lot. I, I bet Pat has heard it a lot more than me. How many parents will come up to you and they'll say, I wish you'd go talk to my kid. You know, their kids are a lot of times the people that I grew up with. And they'll say, I don't understand what we're wrong. I brought them to church every Sunday. What else we do? We have that expectation. They sat there in the pews. And we expect them to listen and to learn, and, and hopefully they do. I know we pick up something, sit here listening and learning, but there's so much more teaching that has to go into it than that. You know, sometimes as I sit there as a kid and I remember watching what people would do and not understanding why they did it, knowing, well, that's just what we do, but not knowing why we did it. And it wasn't until some people would take me to the side and say, this is why we do it this way. This is the scripture that shows why we do it that way. Here, this is an expectation for you to get involved with this before I realize, look, this is why we do what we do. And that's what binds the heart to it. There has to be some teaching behind it. We expect from them to get wiser just because they're older. There's, that's kind of a connotation in life, isn't it? Youth is looked down on because there's no wisdom there. Age is looked at as someone just because you've got gray hairs, you've got wisdom. You remember Elihu, Elihu in the story of Job. He's the young guy who comes in. Three of Job's friends come in and they accost him and they're accusing him of all this sin, accusing him, surely you've done this, surely you've done that. Well, Job becomes a martyr in his own mind, you know, and to where he stops depending on the grace of God and, and depending on the fact that he is trying to be humble before God. He just defends himself, even to the point of questioning God at points. And Elihu is this young guy who sits there and he listens to it and he listens to it and he listens to it and he said, I held my peace. But now I'm going to tell you something. I, I can't, I'm not going to say whether or not the spirit of what he said was good or right. I don't know if he came about it in an arrogant way. Maybe it might seem arrogant, but he made a statement in Job 32 and 9. He said, great men are not always wise, neither do the aged understand judgment. Just because you have more and more birthdays doesn't mean you're going to be wise. And I think we have to keep that in memory with our kids and with, when I say youth, I mean the babes in Christ. But those who might be new in the kingdom, just because they have more years in the church doesn't mean they're going to necessarily grow in wisdom. You know what they need? They need instruction. You know what we do for our children and we ought to do is we walk with them every day. It's going to take a lot of time to teach our kids. The Bible says about training up our children, Proverbs 29 and verse 15, it said, The rod and proof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings his mother shame. I'm not saying we're going to go around the church whipping people. You know, we're not talking about that. But I want you to grab the principle out of this where he says that a child left to his, 
left to himself brings his mom to shame. You know, think about what a child does when they're alone. I'm going to tell you things I did when I was alone when I was a kid. I remember one time thinking I was all alone down, down behind some big oak trees when we lived down near Boonville, and I'd grabbed a box of matches, and I thought I was all alone. And I was out there making me a little campfire until Mom got a hold of me and whipped me all the way back to the house, you know. I was left alone. You know, a lot of things I did and I got in trouble for, I was alone when I did them. You know why? Because as a kid, your mind develops, oh, this is a good idea, I'm going to do this. Even if you know it might not be right, you're alone. Who's going to stop you? Right? You know what you need? You need a parent. You need a guide. You need someone who, to be there whenever you make decisions that aren't the best for you, and they can give you wisdom. You know what we do, sadly, with too many babes in Christ, too many people who come into the church, is we say, congratulations, we're so excited to have you as a part of the family. Come give us a hug. If you need anything, we're here for you. Go study your Bible. Go on, go study your Bible. If you ever want to lead a song someday, that's cool. If you ever want to preach someday, that's cool. Tell us if you want to do that. I'll tell you, babes in Christ, they need training. They need people there. I, need, I still need that. They need someone there who's going to show us the doctrine, going to show us the ins and outs, going to show us the morality. Look, I, 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 this is one of the things I believe. I believe that it is very hard at times to teach people the gospel. There is a lot of resistance to the gospel in its truth in its entirety. And I think we sit around a lot of times when we worry about whether someone is going to reject baptism or not, or they're going to reject the, the gospel in some capacity. When you finally get them to that point that they say, you know what, I do need to obey the gospel. You know what, they're admitting, I've been wrong. I need to change my life, and I need to give it to God. And I'll tell you, at that point there, that may be the most humble that you or I may ever be in our life, where we say, I need God, I need to change, I've been wrong. And that is our prime opportunity to start teaching somebody, to start training somebody, to start helping them to craft and change their life. That's going to take a lot of attention. You think about the attention that Paul put into it. Acts 20 verse 31, he said, Watch and remember that over three years I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. He said, I labored over this. I don't know if Paul took vacations. Well, that's a kind of you know, a modern day thing here. He said... I cease not. That means I didn't quit. He said it was killing me sometimes. I was crying. I was worried. There were times where I was fearful for you. Think about how he wrote to the Galatians. I'm afraid for you. I warned day and night. You know what takes a lot of attention? You know what people need? They need someone who are gonna, is going to be there to teach when they need it. In Deuteronomy 6 and 7, referring back to maybe the role of a parent and a father, he said you'll teach them diligently the commandments of God to your children. You'll talk about them when? When what? When you have time? When it's convenient? When you're not busy with work? When you're not busy with play? Whenever it's not Christmas or family time? No, he said, whenever we're going to teach, you're going to talk about these things when you're sitting in your house, when you're busy in your life walking by the way, before you lie down at night and when you rise up in the morning. That's constant teaching. And I'll tell you, every person in the church needs that, not just our children. Now, for us who are parents, our children need that. I want to ask you as parents, I ask myself the same question. What type of training are you giving your kids? What type of Bible knowledge are they getting from you? 
What type of wisdom are they getting from you? What kind of correction are they getting from you? Is it consistent? Is it every day? Dads and moms, we've got a big responsibility. And for all of us members in the church, look, this is the type of training and teaching that other people need. They need you. They need you to be there to teach them. Think about Jesus. Uh, I'm just going to rifle through some of these in the way that he, he, he went and he sought out these men. He was going to train to be fishers of men. And, and think about all the times he was there for them. Whenever they were afraid of storms when they were on the sea, he would wake up and he'd calm them. Whenever they were worried about who was going to be the greatest, he was there to humble them and tell them to be servants. Whenever they wanted to destroy people who were rejecting them, he was there to teach them compassion and the importance of saving instead of tearing down. Whenever they're too busy for the little children to come to them, Jesus taught them to take the time The little details and everyone matters. Whenever they didn't understand a parable or teaching, he would patiently explain to them, this is what you and I need for someone to train us in. Because I'll tell you, there's situations in life where I just don't know the answers. And I need someone right there who's going to realize I don't understand to be able to teach me. There are going to be times in life when I'm afraid and I need someone who is in touch enough in my life to be able to say, hey, I see you're going through this right now. Let me offer you this wisdom. Whenever we're trying to reach out into the world and save people and we're frustrated, we need someone who's going to reach out and say, don't give up. We don't need someone who's also going to jump on the bandwagon of the world's just so awful and nobody wants Jesus anymore and and don't go knock doors. It's worthless and things like that. We need somebody who's going to say, we're here to save. Let's keep going. You may have been rejected for the thousandth time a day, but let's go do it again. Now that's what training is. That's what passing the mantle is. It's being there for all those situations in life whenever someone needs to know, where do I go from here? Are you passing the mantle? Titus 2, he talks to the older men and women. And he said, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience, the aged women likewise, that they in behaviors becometh holiness, or be in behaviors becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, are good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may be not blasphemed. Young men likewise do exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, and doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, and sincerity. There's a lot of things that can't be taught from this pulpit. Now, don't get me wrong. I think you could teach on every single subject there is in the Scriptures, but not everything can be taught from this pulpit. I could teach you. I could, I could stand up here and I could read all, I could read through Ephesians chapter 5 and talk about husbands and wives and the responsibilities and the roles and the love and the submission and all of those wonderful things and the things that need to be taught on. But you know what helps? It's to see it in action. It helps. So I want to tell you that what people need from you is for you to let them into their life, for you to let them into your life. Now, hospitality is a dying thing in our society. You know, Peter talked about it, and he said, withhold not hospitality one from from another. He said to use it. 
He said, if you do that, you'll be a good steward of the manifold grace of God. Now, let me tell you in these, what, I, what I mean by hospitality is by these private moments. These moments where it's just you and somebody else. Maybe the privacy of your home, but whenever you let someone into your life and they get to see you living it. I'll tell you, it is too sad whenever, whenever we have these young men, and I say young men, I throw myself in that group sometimes. I'll tell you, it's hard to learn to live a sober life. He's not talking about alcoholism, though we could talk about that. He's talking about not being overly facetious, about someone who knows, knows the moment and when is not the moment. And you need someone there in those moments to say it wasn't the moment. You need, someone, you need to witness it whenever you're sitting there thinking something childish and you watch the older fella say something wise and with gravity. You need to witness those moments. You know what we need to see? We need to see it whenever the older men and the older women are out there and they're teaching the gospel to people and they're getting these questions. They're getting these questions that are hard to answer. And they're getting attitude from people, frustrating attitude of people who are challenging and being abrasive and abusive. And we need to see the way that those older folks humble themselves and the way that they use the craft of the Scriptures, right? We need to see it in action. You know what we need to see? We need to see the homes that are working. I'll tell you, it's a sad thing. There's a lot of people that look at some homes and they say, that's a perfect marriage. This is too perfect. Surely no one's that perfect, right? Well, I'll be honest with you. Surely no one's that perfect. There isn't a perfect marriage out there. But I'll tell you what, there are marriages that are good and that they work through their issues and they work through their problems. You know what? You can't see that if you're not in their life. And what you need to do as this person, as this Elijah, is you need to bring the younger folks, the younger Christians, into your life, into your home, and let them see how you live. Let them see your level of morality, or what morality ought to be, or Christ's level that you're trying to reach up to. Let them see how you spend your time as you study with your children. You know what? I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't know what it looked like to study with, with kids. I got good folks. I love my mom. I love my dad. You know how many times we picked up the Bible and read as a family? That many. And I was raised in the church. So I get my own kids, and this is a learning process. How about you? Did you have that when you were growing up? Do you want your kids to grow up and to get married, and then they have their own kids, and your kids are sitting there going, well, I need to, I need to teach my kids something. How did mom and dad do it? Oh, wait, they didn't. Oh, wait, they didn't. Give someone the opportunity to see what love really looks like. There's a lot of crazy ideas on what love really is today inside of a marriage, outside of a marriage for that matter. Bring someone into your home. Let them see how you cherish your wife, husbands. Let them see the active role that you take in, even though you might be called the head, that that leadership you have is... Is really a position where you're the biggest servant in your home. Bring those young ladies into your life, women, and let them see how you devote yourself to your ch children and your husband. L let them see how you carry yourself with grace and dignity. Talk to them about why you do those things. I'll tell you, that's an awkward thing in it. At the end of the day, we can say, pass a man will teach all these people, but that gets hard to do. You know why we don't do that? Because we're afraid somebody's going to be upset with me if I try to teach them something. Well, I wasn't invited in to talk to them, was I? 
You ever felt that way? Seen something going on in someone's life and you go, I need to talk to them. Someone should talk to them. I can't talk to them, but someone should talk to them. We do that in the church, and I'll tell you, it's killing us. It's hurting the church. It's hurting discipleship. It's hurting passing the mantle. We need to have close enough relationships with each other where we can talk. Where you can come to me and you can say, you know what? Uh, I wanted to give you this tip. You know what? Here's something I was worried about for you. Can we talk about it? And where you can be confident that Lee isn't going to rip your head off for it. You know? And vice versa. You need to be ready to be that person too. Step up. Pass the mantle. We need teachers in the church. Parents, your best opportunity, our best opportunity is our kids. Don't waste the time. I feel my time slipping. You know, and my daughter's not as old as, as maybe some kids in here, but I mean, 10 years old, 10 years goes pretty quick. You know, mom and dad weren't lying when they said this time goes fast. I just feel it slipping away. And the questions that I have to answer, that Ellen and I have to answer at different times, they shock me, you know. Oh, we're already to this part of life. Oh, we're already on to this in life. You need to be prepared. And I want you to look around the room today and say, who can I help? Who can I help pass the mantle to today? You know, it takes somebody stepping up and saying, I will teach. I will help. I will promote the best in this person. I will provoke to love and good works. And, uh, and that's all fine and good, but you also need the younger generation to sit back and go, I will learn and I will grow, don't you? I'll tell you that is an awful feeling whenever you really want to help somebody and you hit a brick wall. It's just a horrible feeling. And Elijah, I wonder, I've wondered if Elijah ever feared that or if he was just so excited to have somebody else on his team that he didn't think about it twice. As he goes and he finds uh, Elisha, I just wonder how excited he must have been to just have somebody else in the work. And I think we should face this work of passing the mantle with excitement. Look around this room, there's a lot of opportunity with the little ones, with the young ones, with the ones who've been in the church a long time. All right, let's promote the best in each other. Now let's talk about the Elisha side of things for a little bit. I want you to notice the type of person that Elijah found whenever he went and he found Elisha. What it says about him, Elijah went to him, he threw his mantle on him, remember it? And it said that Elisha, he left the oxen and he ran after Elijah and he said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and mother, then I'll follow thee. And he returned back from him, he took a yoke of oxen, he killed him, he bowled the flesh. Uh, with the instruments of the oxen he gave to the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and he ministered unto him. This is kind of an interesting scene. I want you to know first thing I thought about this guy is he's a rich kid. He's a rich kid. You think about it. He is out in the field. It's not just him in the field. He's out there with all the servants. He's got a team of oxen that is 12 deep. He's got 12 ox on that one yoke, that one plow set up. He's part of a rich family. Now, rich boy, daddy's boy, he could have been up there at the house, you know, eating grapes and resting and everything, but no, he was out there with the servants working hard. He was a diligent worker. And I think that you and I, if you consider yourself to be these younger people, the Elisha position, be a worker, all right? Whenever the Elisha comes along and says, let me teach you in this, let them find you working diligently at whatever you're doing. Because that's who he found. He found somebody who wasn't afraid to work. And then whenever an opportunity presented itself to him to grow up 
and to, to take on this role of being the prophet, he didn't shy away from it. That hasn't always been the case with prophets. You remember what Jeremiah said? You remember back in Jeremiah chapter 1, as he's retelling the story of how God said, I knew thee from the belly, and I formed thee, and I ordained thee a prophet of the nations. He said, then said I, Ah, oh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said, Say not, I'm a child, for you go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. You see, I, I think it's a scary thing for all of the younger adults out here. And I put myself in that category. If you're in your 30s, you're young. For all of us who are younger, understand it's time to take up the task that's before us. At the very least, it's time to work towards some goals in that. Because if no one has come to your field where you're plowing a oxen, so to speak, and told you one of these days you're going to be a prophet, here I am today, you're going to be a prophet. I don't care whether you're a man or you're a woman, you have this responsibility to turn into a teacher. Don't shirk away from that responsibility. That's frightening. It is frightening to me at different phases in life where you realize more and more is expected of you. Ellen and I talk about every now and then, remember whenever we were dating and everything was so carefree, you know, and whenever we went out on a date, we didn't have to worry about babysitters and, you know, we didn't worry so much about the calories that we ate. There was just less worries in general, you know, back then. You were carefree and it is hard to leave that behind. I tell you, it's, it's not all, it's not the end of your life taking on this mantle of being a prophet. It's not the end of all fun and happiness. It's the beginning of something that is new and fulfilling on a deeper level. Because this work that you're about to take on, it, it's going to have its challenges and it's going to have its struggles. But I'll tell you, there's nothing better. You know, church work is like a roller coaster sometimes. Whenever... Whenever it's low, it's low. It's like a snake belly dragon bottom. But I'll tell you, there are no better highs than watching your brothers and sisters succeed whenever you've been working with them. There's nothing better than that. Be ready to step up. Don't say, it's not me. Don't say, I can't do this because God said you can, you will. That's what He called you for. It's time to grow up. 1 Corinthians 13, 11, he said, When I was a child, I spoke as a child, understood as a child, I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. He uses this to, as an illustration here, but you see the main point is when you're a kid, you're a kid, and it's time to grow up. And I don't say this in a rude way. I'm not sitting here yelling at people, Grow up! Like we tell people when we're angry at them. But the truth is it's time to grow up. Our society has made perpetual children. Our society isn't expected of kids to be kids for a long time. I mean, it may say 18, you're an adult. Isn't that what kids long for? I'm 18, I'm an adult. You know, and, and you, you're so ready to be grown up. But we want our kids to, to not think about the serious relationships of life till they're out of school. Why? We want them to focus on their career and put even church and spiritual things on the back burner. Why? I even hear people telling their kids, go to college and have that college experience. And I don't have to explain that to you. Why? Why do you want that? Why do you want that for your young adults? We, we get only a few years with them to teach them how to be a grown-up. And when they're gone, they're gone. And I'll tell you, I can't imagine that feeling. Maybe I'm a control freak. Maybe I am. I'll pray about it. But I can't imagine that feeling 
Whenever my kids are out of the house and they're making their own decisions and sitting back and going, you know what, they really don't have to listen to me anymore. I can't imagine that. But I've encouraged them to go live it up in life and to stay a kid. I'm getting off track here. Let's talk about this other side of things. Listen, it's time to grow up. You know, we have our time to be children. We have our time to to be carefree and, and play. But now it's time to enter in this phase of life where you take on the responsibilities that God has given you. Jesus did the same thing, didn't he? You remember with Jesus? I mean, he was... I mean, he walked through life for a while. He's very diligent. He worked sec- in the secular world with his dad as a carpenter for a while. And then he took on his work as he needed to take on his work. And boy, did he. He dedicated himself to it. Dedicate yourself to the kingdom. Whenever we say grow up, understand that there is no future in the church without you. I think it's really sad when I watch, well, I'll just tell you about me. You know, I raised in the church, I, I had this understanding. There was this expectation, this silent expectation that whenever you got to a certain age as a boy, you're probably, at the very least, you were going to start reading a chapter, you know. And uh, we do chapter studies in the evenings, and you're at the very least, you're going to read that chapter, and then someone else who was older and more experienced would come, and, and they'd give an exhortation on that. And, but some of these days, you're going to have to preach. And, boy, I dreaded that. Ellen doesn't believe it, but I was shy, you know, very shy. Pain, I was a skirt clinger for a long time, very shy. And I'll tell you, I was very scared to step up into that role. And it took some poking and prodding by well, guys like Pat, Sean, and, and Rusty, and some others, Merle Fielder, and things like that to kind of poke me into some action. Knew what I needed to do. I knew what I should do, but I thought, one of these days, I'll do that. One of these days, I'll become that. You have all these other older people. They'll fill that role. They'll take care of the teaching. They'll take care of the shepherding. They'll take care of of the preparation and the mantle passing and all those things. And, And I've got time. And the truth is, it's time to change now. If you're not preparing for this now, you may not ever change. You know, as he was rebuking Israel and he was calling to him repentance in Jeremiah 13, he said, Can the Ethiopian change his skin of leopard to spots? Then may ye also do good that are accustomed to doing evil. Now, I'm not, you know, I don't think it's just about being completely wicked and evil we got to change from, but you think about this. There's a time to grow up because if you don't start changing your life now, you may not ever. And that's what he said here. He said, you might get to a point with your sinfulness that there is no going backs. Have you ever tried to bleach a, you know, a leopard? I don't know. I haven't done that. Uh, don't like to get too close to the big cats, but, uh, or any cat for that matter. But, you know, you're not naturally going to change those spots off of that, uh, off that leopard. I might lose my hair, but I can't naturally change my hair color. I'm not going to be able to change the color of my skin. It was what I was born with. But I'll tell you, that's what he likens sin to. Or a lifestyle or a pattern. He says, look, if you live in this lifestyle long enough and you don't try to change it, there's no coming back from it. Romans 1 talks about that, how you get to a point where you're so hard and callous. Now, I want you to examine your life today. And I want you to think, is it time for you to start working towards being this mantle passer? What are the things that are in your life that don't need to be there? Is it some sort of immorality? Is it some sort of questionable activity? 
I don't know, maybe it's not a sinful activity per se, but maybe it's just that you need to change your habits to make them more spiritual in nature. Maybe your pastimes need to become more spiritual in nature so you can work towards that goal. What needs to change? Change it now. Change the things that need to be changed. Uh, you know, he was so, this, this young man, Elijah, he was so excited to take up that opportunity. He said, I'll kill the calf. We'll eat. We'll be strengthened. Let's go do this. He, I, I don't know if he has any idea what Elijah had just gone through to get to this point, you know the sweating and slaving and, you know, blood and tears. But he's excited for that work, and I think you should be too. There's nothing better than this. There's nothing better than this. He was excited for that work, and he had a lot of zeal, and, and, and he wasn't just going to uh, think that he had everything figured out. You remember what we said there at our first reading, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9? He says, it came to pass when they're gone over, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit pass upon me. We don't talk like this nowadays. I don't say, give me a double portion of your spirit. I might say, give me another portion of those, you know, biscuits and gravy. Said that last night. Um, give me another, you know, piece of that chicken fried steak. I want some of that. He's talking about inheritances here. You know, and a lot of times this would be a conversation between a father and a son more so. And I'll, again, I want you to see how close they were. And I'll tell you, if you are really uh, insert yourself into the kingdom of God, you're going to build relationships like this, invaluable relationships. I got, I got a dad. I got a mom, you know, in the flesh. But I'll, I'll tell you, I have some people that I'm extremely close with and I value them because of the type of wisdom they are willing to pass on to me. Now, what is a bad thing for me and not to my advantage is if someone tries to pass on some type of wisdom and I say, no thanks, I got this. I'll tell you, it's really easy for a younger person to do that and to have that arrogance. Uh, humility is not always our strong suit. We need to be teachable people. We need, to be, we need to want to be taught. Now, as he says he wants to be taught, he said, I want you to give me a double portion of the Spirit. I mentioned this is some, a conversation someone will have with their father when you're talking about a literal inheritance. And the double portion means the largest portion. So maybe a guy has three or four sons. You know, the first son, he gets the biggest part of the inheritance. It's always lesser for the next ones. And here he's going, you know that first part, that best part? I mean, double that. I'll talk about this kid had some humility. You, you know what he realized? He realized how big the task was. And that's what you and I need to realize. This isn't no walk in the park. We're talking about the lives and souls of mankind being entrusted to us. We're talking about going into Egypt and saying, let my people go kind of stuff. Whenever we take on this role of being teachers in the kingdom of God. And here he realized, he said, I can't do this on my own. I don't know if I'm ready. I don't want to do this without you. Look, I, you're the best there is at this. Give me all your wisdom and then double it and maybe I can do it. And I think that's a good mentality to have. That's going to that's gonna be a hungry mentality. That's a mentality that says, I won't stop growing. I am not above this job. You'll listen whenever someone tries to teach. Proverbs 1.5 says, A wise man will hear, he will increase in learning. A man of understanding will attain to wise counsels. Verse 7 said, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Don't be foolish. Don't be foolish. I'll tell you, it is really easy. And I don't care if you're young or old. It is really easy whenever someone comes to you and says, Hey, 
I see a problem in your life. Trying to, you know, do Galatians 6.1 maybe. It's not advantageous for you to sit there and go, who are you? Who are you to tell me how to live my life? I'll tell you as parents, we may be the most sensitive of all. Someone comes to us and tells us we could do a better job with our parenting. Don't you tell me about raising my kids, right? We're babies. Just be honest. We need to be the people who, instead of sitting there and getting defensive that someone would dare come and talk to us about being better Christians, about living a more holy life or a better life, that we're not worried about growing. And, and what we need to do is go, if someone comes to you, it might hurt. It not, might not be comfortable. They may even seem like a hypocrite to you. Maybe they are a hypocrite. Examine your life. Examine what they say. Maybe you'll grow in something. Or you know what? Even better than that, instead of assuming the worst about them or being upset, look at that person who had the guts and the love. Those two things, two things. The guts and the love to come to you and say, I want to help you. And just appreciate that. Value that. And listen to them. And maybe dig a little bit deeper. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Wise people, they'll listen and they will increase in their, their wisdom. And that's what we need to do. First Peter 2 and verse 2, he said, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Sincere milk. I like milk. I don't know. I used to, I remember when I was a teenager, I'd probably drink on average, you know, seven or eight gallons of milk a week. I probably about broke my mom and dad, you know, with the milk between me and my brother. I still drink a lot of milk, even though I shouldn't, because I'm a fat kid and need to get my cholesterol, my blood pressure down. But, hey, dude loves his chocolate milk at night. What can I say? And I'd say as much as I like my chocolate milk, babies like their milk more. Sincere milk of the word. I thought a lot of the sincerity, a lot of times you're thinking about sincere, you want the, you want the real thing. You don't want anything hold back. I, I, want, I want the realness of it. And that's what he's saying. I want you to desire the unadulterated Word of God. Do you desire the unadulterated Word of God? Do you crave it? Or does it hurt a little bit whenever it shines light on some area of your life where you're not doing as good as you could? And we have the tendency to shut it out so we can do what we want to do instead of what we need to do, what we ought to do. You know, desiring the sense of milk of the word means you're going to do whatever you got to do to get it. I don't know, maybe Elijah hadn't, hadn't walked into your field and said, come on, kid, let's go, so to speak. But if you really desire the sense of milk of the word, go find him. Go find her. Young ladies, young women, or mothers or wives, whatever position you are, if you have questions in life or you want to grow, go find that help. Go, go watch someone who lives a godly life and you can see it in the life and go say, why do you do this? Why do you do that? Bug them. I mean, just bug those people. All right? You might feel like you're bugging them, but trust me, if they, they really have a heart to serve and to do and they love you, they're not going to feel bugged. And then whenever you're asked that question, you know, older folks don't say, well, I don't know, you're doing fine. Don't do that. Don't do that. I mean, offer encouragement, but when someone asks for what do you think? How do I do this better? Give it to them. We need to go looking for it. Babies cry. They sit there and they cry. Miles was a screamer now. You're a screamer, dude. 
Whenever he was hungry, he'd just scream. Well, he, even when he wasn't hungry, he screamed. I don't know. The way he eats, maybe he's just hungry all the time. We need to scream out for the Word of God. Now, I'll tell you, how do I know? How do I know if I really desire the sincere milk of the Word? One, I'm pursuing it. That means you're going to have a, a healthy study life of your own. And you're going to be looking for those answers from the people who are already wearing the mantle. You're going to be talking to those folks who you know have been invested in the kingdom for a long time. You're going to ask for studies. You're going to ask for encouragement. You're going to ask for them to do the work with you. But two, you're going to see the changes in your life because that's what God's Word does. If you don't see the growth in your life as a Christian, the chances are you don't desire the sincere milk of the Word. And so it's time to change your taste. It's time to change your desires. It's time to change your focus. Do you desire the sincere milk of the Word? Hebrews 5, the writer was disappointed. We're about to wrap it up. I'm sorry I'm going a little long this morning. In Hebrews 5, the writer says, he said, I want to come to you and I want to teach you a difficult principle but I can't do it because you won't be able to understand it. Now, he's not saying I'm so smart and you're so dumb. Something had happened here that shouldn't have happened. We started off with this verse, Hebrews 5 and verse 12, but let's read the context. He says, When for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone who useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, but strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You see, these people were taught the gospel. They obeyed the gospel. They were given the equipment to be able to feed themselves and to learn and to grow and to be better. And he comes back and he says, you're a baby again. This isn't natural. This isn't right. He was frustrated. This is God's frustration with His people. That there's a time you ought to be way more mature as a Christian in your life. But you're, excuse me, you're a baby still. You're a baby again. Is this the way that God will find me as He comes back? Is this where He will find you? That you're still without? That you're still not growing like you ought to? Brothers and sisters, we got to grow. We need to practice. And he says that strong meat belongs to those who have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. That means we got to practice it. You desire the sense of the milk of the Word, put it into work. Put it to work. You want something to do? Go find a Bible study. You don't feel like you can do the Bible study? Get with somebody you know can do a Bible and study and say, hey, can you come do this with me? I got a friend I want to study with, or I just want you to study with me or my family. Exercise. You want practice at getting better at evangelizing? Talk to people at the gas pump. <laughs> I mean, there's all kinds of things you could do. You want practice at parenting? Every day, wake up with it on your mind. Make yourself checklists. Make yourself notices. Write yourself scriptures. I mean, whatever you got to do. We've got to exercise. We've got to practice. And then we've just got to wear the mantle. We don't need to revert back. See, God expects for you and I to be teachers. He expects for us to get to the point where as we're ready to leave this life, that we leave the, other, the next generation prepared to serve. This morning, if you're not prepared to serve, if you're not prepared to, you're not fully equipped, I guess, to be this person who's in the position of Elijah, step up, all right? Think about your future in the kingdom of God. What are you going to be someday? For this congregation, are you going to be 
a deacon? Are you going to be an elder or a deacon's wife or an elder's wife? Will your kids be able to be that type of person? Their character show that someday? Will you be someone who is a servant in the church doing whatever is asked of you? What will you be for this congregation? What will you be for the kingdom of God? And if you need help growing in any way, I want you to focus on picking up the mantle of Christ this morning. We haven't talked about the gospel a whole lot, but if you'd like to talk about the gospel, we'll give you that opportunity to do that with after services. If you've heard the gospel and obey it, please let us know and we'll help you with that. But if you need help to want to pick up the mantle this morning, we're to pass it on. Please come forward while we stand and we sing this last song. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.